Hi, I'm Danny Clawson. I've uh, been with uh, Rolling Hills for the last three years. I've been in the home building industry for the last 27 years and the last three and a half years here in Nashville. In 2005, we had my wife and I had a daughter. And at that point, um, we started feeling led to be become part of a church to start seeing things differently than the way we were kind of living our life. Once I accepted Christ and offer, I asked him into my life, then that started the seeking uh, of the truth of what I needed to hear. And, and over the last 12 years, it's just been a true journey. My way of leading since becoming a Christian, um, I never really had a lot of grace for people back uh, back in that day. It was it was my way or the highway kind of thing. I was very quick to, to write you off if I needed to. Through the years of just uh, being with some good godly leaders that have led me in the right direction, but understanding truly what uh, the Bible says about leading and how to lead a family is really no different than how to lead your business. Using my platform at the office to, to lead in a godly way is really leading by example. I pray for a lot of wisdom and knowledge to lead my family and to lead my team in the way that he wants them to be led and not necessarily in the way that I want to lead them. The most significant thing that I've done to be a godly leader is to be obedient. Um, when you're not a godly leader, and you do not know what scripture has to say or how Jesus wants you to lead your life, then it's hard to lead that way. Honesty was always, has always been a big part of my life, but honesty um, in the absence of compassion was pretty cruel at times. So being able to lead now as a believer and understanding, again, aligning myself with how God wants us to lead, um, offering grace, uh, forgiveness, compassion, um, loving, uh, it's, it's made a big difference in how I lead my team. Well, it is uh, great to be with you today to talk through another week of our summer series, I Am David. And you may ask, why have they titled this series, I Am David? Well, even though David lived over 3,000 years ago, you know, he, his story, his writings, they're still applicable to you and to me. And what we're doing this summer is we're finding our story in his story. And all of us can say in some aspect of our lives that I am David. We just heard that from, from Danny. You know, a guy that learned from his past and was able to take principles like David is going to teach us today about leadership and to become a godly leader. Now, for those who don't know me, my name is Eric Rogers. I'm on staff here as executive pastor. And that means I have the joy of overseeing our, our staff and our ministries and our campuses. And I'll tell you, what an incredible staff we have. What a wonderful church this is. So to have the job that I have is just a, a complete honor. And today's topic, becoming a godly leader, it's truly what I aspire to every day of my life. And it's what I aspire to coach in others every day of my life. So to have the opportunity to speak on leadership from the life of David is a, is a true blessing and an honor. Now, when I think of the word leadership, when you think of the word leadership, it really is a loaded word, isn't it? I mean, you know, with a group this size, there are a lot of different examples and definitions and thoughts that you have on leadership. I want to play a little word association with you, okay? I'm going to say a short phrase, and I want you to fill in the blank in your mind just silently, okay? Here we go. Leadership is...
If something comes to mind of what leadership means to you, what the definition is, I found a, a cartoon this week that had eight different types of leaders. Let's see if any of these were what you were thinking of there momentarily. All right, the visionary leader. Follow me. Oh, wait, a shiny new thing. You ever followed leaders like that? Or the operator leader, you know, very succinct. Sorry, our plan doesn't specify bathroom breaks. The compromising leader is kind of hard to follow at times. Maybe we should just take a vote. Then there's the drill sergeant leader. When I say jump, you say how high. The cheerleader, love this guy, right? You guys rock. Who wants a pizza? Then there's the parrot leader. Our strategy is whoever I talk to last. The windbag leader, right? We've all had those leaders. And then the coach, play hardball and give it 110%. Now, maybe you did or didn't have these types of leaders come to mind when I said leadership is, but these are all real types, Um, you know, typically not ones that we want to aspire to in leadership. Maybe you had Coach Boone in mind. You remember Coach Boone from the movie Remember the Titans? Remember him? Now, he was a leader for sure. If you forgot who he was, take a look at this clip. Coach Boone, I'm going to tell you all about how much fun you're going to have this season. This is no democracy. It is a dictatorship. I am the law. If you survive camp, you will be on the team. If you survive. Now you think you're doing these boys a favor, taking them aside every time I come down, protecting them from big bad boom. You challenge my authority in front of the entire football team, coach. You're cutting my legs from under me. He ain't doing these kids a favor by patronizing. You're crippling them. You're crippling them for life. Now, I may be a mean cuss, but I'm the same mean cuss with everybody out there on that football field. All right. Now, that's a leader, right? Challenging, motivational, inspirational. Got some cool, like, leadership music behind him. I don't know where that is in my family room when I need it. Was that what you had in mind when, when you think of, of leadership? When you think of being a leader? I mean, that's a, that's a leader, and that's, that's a good leader in some respects. Well, here's the deal. If you have a Coach Boone type of leader in mind, if that's the image that came to mind or something similar to it, I need you to put that aside this morning. I'm asking you, I'm needing you to think through two different aspects of leadership as we talk about David's life this morning. Two different definitions, two different perspectives on leadership. All right, now you received a worship guide when you came in. Go ahead and pull that out and encourage you to fill in the blanks. Uh, They say if you fill in the blanks, you retain more, you apply more. I don't know who they are, but that's okay. Let's go with it. And the first two blanks I want you to fill in are two different thoughts on leadership. The first is this. You are a leader. You are a leader. Now you may think, "Um, that's all you got, Eric? (laughs) Well, some of you realize that you're a leader, and some of you don't. Many of you, in fact, in this room, don't believe that you're a leader because you've had Coach Boone type of leadership in your mind as the prototype. David, you know what? He didn't consider himself a leader when he was the young shepherd boy either. 
And we know what happened in his life, and we're going to see that today. What leadership guru John Maxwell says about leadership is true. Listen to this. Leadership is influence. Nothing more and nothing less. And friends, you all have leadership. You all have influence in your neighborhoods, at work, in your classroom, in your families, in, on social media. You all have influence, and so therefore, you are all leaders. And after this moment, and after this morning, I don't want any of you to ever think again that you're not a leader, because you are, because you have Influence. You may not be the verbal, inspiring, motivational leader like Coach Boone, but that's okay. You are a leader. Second kind of new thought I want you to have this morning is this. Godly leadership is a different kind of leadership. Godly leadership is a different kind of leadership. Christian author Oswald Sanders, he said this, there is no such thing as a self-made spiritual leader. A true leader influences others spiritually only because the spirit works in and through him or her to a greater degree than those he or she leads. You see, friends, you are a leader, and godly leaders, they seek God. Godly leaders pursue God, and they let him help them influence and lead other people. All right, so I got leadership framed up for us today in terms of how I want us to think. And now we're going to look at David's life, as we've been doing over the last several weeks. Our text today is in 2 Samuel, chapters 5 and 6. You can turn there now in your Bibles. If, if you don't have Bibles, we've got three ways you can access God's Word. The, the first, we're going to have the verses up on the screen. The second is if you're here in Franklin, we've got Bibles in the back. We give away several each week. We'd love to do that for you today. And you can always download the YouVersion Bible app as well. So our text today is going to pick up with what we've been waiting for this entire summer. David has been anointed king. He's been appointed king, and we need him now to take over as king. You know, God declared that he was going to be king over Israel, but it has yet to happen. About 10 years before this passage, King Saul died, and David was anointed king and appointed king over the southern tribe of Judah. The other tribes, however, they, they gave their leadership and their kingship to Saul's remaining son, Ishbosheth. Now, I don't know who would name their kid Ishbosheth, but I got to say his name a few more times right now, so I'm just going to call him IB, okay? And this is a situation for seven years, IB is king until IB is killed by two assassins. Now, we don't have time to get into all of 2 Samuel 5 and 6. There's a lot of verses here, but read through this. It's kind of like a, a 2020 program on TV. It's got that kind of a, of a feel to it, like a dateline type of a deal. All right, but you have to know that even though I.B. is killed, he's assassinated. David had nothing to do with it. He had nothing to do with it. In fact, David found the people that killed, the two people that killed I.B., and he had them assassinated because of their deed. So we're going to look now, and we're going to read about how the leaders of the northern tribes, they finally are able to say, yes, David is king over all Israel, and we are going to anoint and we're going to appoint him in that role. They're going to finally acknowledge what God is up to in David's life. 
that God himself had chosen and called David to rule all of Israel. And we've been anticipating David become king for 10 years. He's been chosen for 10 years, and the moment is finally here. So 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 5, and the first thing I want us to take out of this passage is this. Godly leaders understand God's call on their lives. Godly leaders understand God's call on their lives. All right, here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord. And here it is, drum roll please, and they anointed David king over Israel. David is finally king. Now David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. Don't you just love the, the specificity of scripture? And then in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. You see, David, the, the baby of the family, the, the shepherd boy, the non-leader, that couldn't stop him. That couldn't stop David from fulfilling God's call in his life. Goliath, literally a nine-foot, nine-inch roadblock, couldn't stop David from fulfilling God's call on his life. Ten years of waiting couldn't stop David from fulfilling God's call on his life. David had to put up with rejection, defeat, and delay, but none of that stopped him from fulfilling God's call in his life. And there's a point for us as leaders, leaders who can't handle rejection, defeat, or delay. They, they don't last. Leaders who have to win everything every time are short-lived and have very limited success. But David became king. The, the people saw the calling on his life and God used them to put David in his rightful place. Now you got to remember, you know, we're, we're espousing the virtues of David during this series and we are today as well. And David he was Israel's most remembered king. However, he was far from perfect. All right? Quick aside here. Who is our only perfect king? It's Jesus. So don't forget that. David was good, but he's not Jesus. He's, he's not perfect. But the life of David, it shows us that God empowers regular people just like you and me to do bigger things than we could ever Imagine. You see, friends, God has a call on our entire lives. Our schooling, our neighbors, where we live, where we work, our families. God has a call on our entire lives and our careers. And we can never let someone else determine God's will for our lives. No one else can understand God's unique call on your life as clearly as you can. We can know that we are acting within God's will in our lives. And one of those ways is what godly people affirm in us. And the two keys there are godly people affirming. Too often, 
I come in contact with, with friends and people within ministry all the years I've been doing it, and I just see in day-to-day life that many of us allow ungodly family, ungodly, you know, co-workers, ungodly neighbors to have a first place of counsel in our lives. We have people that speak negativity and bring us down into our lives. And somehow, somehow they have a huge influence in where we go and how we think and decisions that we make. Take it from David. We need to have godly people that are affirming God's call be the ones that have top priority in speaking into our lives. Many people also like to think that they are great leaders in all these great areas that they're really not called to. There's an old adage that says this, the reality is he who thinks he is a leader but has no followers is just on a walk. See, leadership is influence, and we are all leaders. And we need to realize the area of influence that God has called us to. And God will provide us influence. When God is calling us to an audience, he'll provide the wisdom and the influence. I'll tell you what, I've got an incredible family that the Lord has uh, given to me. I've got uh, three wonderful kids and an awesome uh, daughter-in-law. I think we've got a picture of them here. There's uh, my wife there in the back, my son and daughter-in-law in the front. I've got my, uh, my daughter in the middle, and she's newly engaged. So we're about to add somebody else to our family. And then Adam in the back left there is our middle son. And uh, I put this up there because I want to tell you a little story about Adam. You see, Adam, and all, all of my kids were athletes, but Adam one day was coming back from a varsity baseball game in, in high school. It was an away game. And he was coming in on the bus, and I'm waiting in the parking lot of St. Charles East High School. And I look up, and I see it's Adam and one other person at the front of the bus. And, and everybody else, like the 20-some other players, are at the back of the bus. Now, Adam was one of the best players and a captain on the team. And those were all friends and even people he went to church with in the back of the bus. So I was, like, really confused what was going on. So Adam gets in the car, and I said, Adam, oh, why were you and one other guy alone in the front of the bus? He said, no reason, Dad, no reason. Well, I, I pushed and I pried a little bit further and finally said, you know, um, Dad, just everybody in the back of the bus uh, was looking at, at, at porn and um, I just, I didn't want to be uh, a part of that. And you may think, well, since Adam was in the front, he wasn't much of a leader because there was nobody following him, but the exact opposite was true because the influence he had by setting that example, not only in that instance, but in many other instances, influenced many people in the back of that bus for the sake of Christ and for Adam's walk with him. God, when God calls you to a particular place in your life, a particular season of life, he'll give you the wisdom, he'll give you the opportunity to have influence and to be a leader. I'm gonna challenge you in three different ways today. The first is this, are you living out God's call on your life? Are you living out God's call in your life? Do you know what God's call is? Do you recognize that when you go to work tomorrow, you're not going to work just to pay the bills. You're going there because it's God's call in your life. When you go to school here coming up in August, you realize you're not just there to learn. You're there because God's got a call in your life. You live in the home you live in because God's got a call on your life. 
Are you living out God's call in your life? The second thing I want us to look at comes from verses 6 through 10 and 17 through 21. Godly leaders put God first. Godly leaders put God first. All right, here we go. (laughs) You guys are going to kick out of this. All right, you ready? Ready for this? All right, the king and his men, this is David, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. All right, now he's trying to take over Jerusalem. So David and his men go up to the fortress of Jerusalem, and there they are, ready to attack. And what do the Jebusites say? They say to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off, for they thought David cannot get in here. They're talking trash to David. Look at you and your little wimpy army. You're not going to get in here. Even the lame and blind could ward you off. Let's see how that plays out. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. I think he called it the city of David just to kind of rub it in a little bit. On that day, David said, anyone, listen, listen to David's retort here. On that day, David said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to, will have to use the water shaft to reach, reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. He's giving it right back to them. He's talking trash right back to them. You didn't think you are going to hear about trash talking in scripture today, did you? David then took up residence in the fortress, and again, he called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Jump down now, if you would, to verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been appointed or anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephim. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord answered him, go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went out to Baal Perizim, and there he defeated them. He said, as water breaks out, the Lord has broken out against the enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perizim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. All right, we got some big, bold things that are happening here. If you didn't catch them all, let me hit some of the highlights. So David is moving the capital of Israel from Hebron in the south to Jerusalem. Why is he doing that? Because he wants to unify now the south and the north. He was the king of the south for seven years. Now he's been appointed and anointed over all of Israel. He wants to unify them, so he puts it in Jerusalem in the center. He also wants to do this. He wants to say that Jerusalem is the spiritual center of this country. This is a theocracy. This is a God-centered country, and David was a God-centered king. And so putting, the, uh, putting it, it there in Jerusalem, the capital in Jerusalem, allowed for that opportunity to say, yes, God is here. Because in just a few minutes, he's going to bring the ark and have that be in the temple as well. So this is a really big deal. Also, what happened, in, uh, what happened in Israel before? Remember how Abraham, this is where Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice to God. So this is a, a momentous thing that happens. Not only did David become king, but now moving the capital to Jerusalem. 
And then he gets there, and there's all this idol worship. So now he's got to take a look and say, okay, how do I rid, make this be truly a place that worships the one true God, not all of these idols? We'll get to that in just a second. But as we look here, I mean, David becomes king, all right? Then he goes and he attacks the Jebusites. He moves this, the capital. Now he's attacking the Philistines. I mean, this is, a, this is a strong leader. So it's important for us to look at his methodology. What is David's methodology as a godly leader? Because I think that's how we can find our story in David's story here as well. Well, verse 19, okay, do I go, God? Do I go and attack the Philistines? He's inquiring of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And what happens? The Lord answers him. And that's what happens in our lives. When we inquire, when we've got a big decision, a big, you know, next chapter of our life that's coming, we inquire of the Lord, he will answer us. And the first three words of verse 20 are really important. So David went. He obeyed. He inquired, he heard from God, and he went. And then what happens at the end of verse 20? The Lord has broken out against me, my enemies before me. He gives God the praise and the glory. It's easy for us when we have accomplishments. We're like, yeah, look at what I did. Pride comes before a fall. Follow David's example. Give him, give God the glory as a part of this. So David put God first as a godly leader. Now we want to look at our own lives. What about you? What about you? How how are you putting God first as a leader of influence? Yes, it's, it's praying daily. It's reading God's word. It's being a part of a church. It's getting involved in local service. But what about tomorrow at 8 a.m. when you go to work? What about when you're taking a walk in the neighborhood and you run into your neighbors? What about when you're on social media? How are you putting God first as a godly leader? A friend of mine named Joe was a really um, great salesperson, and he decided to start his own company. And as he did that, he told me years later that he wanted to establish this company in a way that was different from all the other companies and all the other ownership of other companies that he'd been a part of. He wanted to truly acknowledge God first. One of the ways he did this was to, instead of having a Christmas party, he had a Thanksgiving party. So during the Thanksgiving season, he'd give out his annual bonuses, he'd give kind of the state of the company address, and then he'd bring in one of us as pastors from his home church. And every year, two or three of us would kind of rotate, and we'd share about the goodness of God, and we'd share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Joe would get up there and say, you know what, we've had another great year, and God is doing incredible things in our company, and it's all for his glory. If you're a business owner, it doesn't have to be what Joe did, but what, what are you doing? How does your business look different than the business next door, the competitor next door that is not a follower of Christ, that's not putting God first? What if you're a manager of a department? Whatever your role is, how can you allow your role and your relationship with Christ to look different than the person next to you that doesn't love Jesus? I had a teacher friend, because this applies to, to teachers as well. I had a teacher friend, and, and um, she was, her name was Ruth, and uh, she was an adjunct professor at a, 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 a public community college in California. And she would try to share the gospel as much as she could within in a relationship with Christ, as much as she could within a, within a public school context. 
And uh, she'd always offer for students to come up and to talk to her after class. So one day a student came up and, and started talking to Ruth about um, her relationship with Christ. And so Ruth shares the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ uh, with her. And uh, the, the lady said, the student said, you know, I'm just not at a place uh, where I'm ready to, uh, to, to, to make a decision at this point for Jesus. Well, a few days later, um, she's at In-N-Out Burger. How many of you know of In-N-Out Burger, huh? You got some fans of In-N-Out Burger out there? I actually got into a deep theological discussion this week in the office. I had somebody think that Whataburger was better than In-N-Out Burger. I mean, that is heresy, heresy, I tell you. Don't let that infiltrate your family, okay? All right, so this, this, this student is at In-N-Out Burger, and it's a, it's a Christian company. They're, they're open on Sunday, so don't judge them. But they're a Christian company. And they have verses on the bottom of their cups and on the bottom of their, their wrappers. And so this student is throwing out her garbage and literally she let go, let's go. She sees a Bible verse on the bottom of the cup as it goes into the garbage. Well, she literally goes into the garbage, pulls out this cup, looks at it, goes home, pulls open the Bible that Ruth had given her and reads Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and always acknowledge him, me, and I will make your path straight. And she goes, that's it. It's trust. I need to trust Jesus. And right there, because of the boldness of a teacher and the boldness of a company coming together, a life was saved for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, you know what? I, I don't have a place like a business owner or a teacher. I'm a stay-at-home parent. Um, I'm just, you know, I don't really have that type of influence. Let me tell you one more story. Rick and Sabina, they, um, they decided they wanted their home to be a beacon of light for the gospel. And so they picked out a message years ago. First it was on a CD and now it's on a thumb drive. A great message of the gospel. And when somebody comes to the door that um, is a salesperson, whatever, they'll give them this thumb drive and say, hey, listen to this message. I think you'll really enjoy it. Or when somebody comes over for play date, they would give them the thumb drive. Hey, I think you really enjoy this message. It's a gift from us. Friends, you listen to these and you go, well, I can't do those things. You don't have to do these things that I mentioned. You just have to do something. You just have to do something to put God first. You know, as I go through years and years of ministry now, uh, I, I will hear different reasons in terms of why all of us, including myself, are not more bold for Jesus. I mean, look at David. Look at all the bold things that David did for the Lord. And, and, and I'll hear things like, you know, um, I, I can't because legally I could get in trouble. So I can't be bold for the Lord because legally I could get in trouble. Well, yes, maybe. I'm all about rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but there's also a scripture that says we need to obey God at times rather than man. And unfortunately, I see sometimes that are so concerned, people are so concerned with not being bold for gospel because they, they want to do the legal thing, the, the right legal thing, but yet they're taking home some office supplies. They're on social media on, on company time. They're doing jobs for cash on the side and not reporting it. I just want to make sure that that reasoning is not an excuse for not being bold and for not doing incredible things for the sake of, God, of Christ. David was mocked. David was ridiculed. He continued to obey and be bold for the sake of God. And here's the thing, friends. If we take a back seat in our boldness for the Lord, we're missing a front seat to see him move in and through us. 
If we take a back seat in our boldness for the Lord, we're missing a front seat to see him move in and through us. I also, also people say uh, what Francis of Assisi said, they may not know the exact person, but preach always and when necessary, use words. Uh, friends, let me tell you something. It's important to use words. We have to do it at some point. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine that people may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. I've got Hindu friends that I've known through the years that have good works and Mormon friends and atheist friends that do good works. How do people know who to praise if we don't tell them, if we don't use words? And the last thing I hear people say, you know what, I'm not worthy. I've just messed up too much to put God first or to really be used by him. Well, you know, I, I skipped over some verses, but let's look at verse 13. What does it say here about David? After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. Now, you may say, you know what, that was the norm of the day. Well, that doesn't make it right. It's still sin is sin. Even Deuteronomy 17, 17 forbid kings of Israel from taking many wives. There are a lot of things in our norm in our society today that aren't a part of God's will. You know, people have no problem at times swearing or lying or viewing porn or having sex out of marriage and more and more and more. And that's sin, just like it was sin for David. But guess what? Guess what? We serve the God of the 180-degree turn. When we confess our sins, when we seek forgiveness, we get a gift called grace and mercy and redemption and restoration. And now we have the opportunity, all of a sudden the doors are open for us to put God first and be used by him to speak to somebody who's had alcohol issues because of our past, to speak to somebody who's had a bad relationship and made some poor decisions because of our past, to talk at length with somebody who has, is not putting God first because of the season in our life where we haven't put God first. You see, being a good, godly leader doesn't mean making the fewest mistakes. It means being open about them and being quick to ask forgiveness and getting right back on the path. Do you know David wrote about 73 of the 150 Psalms? And I'll tell you what, none are better, none is better than Psalm 51, verse 10, creating me a clean heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And that's Psalm 51. The entire thing is David crying out to the Lord about his, his sin, of how he's messed up. Even later on in 2 Samuel 24, David says this, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a foolish thing. And that's what happens in our lives. If you want to put God first, you know, don't let the past determine future. Don't let past mistakes determine future ministry opportunities. If you feel like God's leading you to something, ask God about it, listen to his voice, obey, and then give him the glory. Don't let, be afraid or let someone else use words. You use words. It could result in an idol being removed from that person and a life or lives being sold out eventually to Jesus. The second challenge I have for us today is, is there more you could be doing to put God first in your life? Is there more you could be doing to put God first in your life? All right, lastly, to close up here, 
Godly leaders celebrate. We're going to jump ahead to chapter 6. Godly leaders celebrate. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and then 14 through 23. David again brought together out of the Israel chosen men 30,000 in all. He and all of his men set up from Baalat of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God, uh, of God on a new cart and brought it into the house of Abinadad, uh, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadad, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cisterns, and cymbals. And jump ahead to verse 14. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, heard that twice now, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark and the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent and David had pitched, that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Always good to remember, food is really important when you're celebrating. If you take nothing out of today, remember that. Take a raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. Now we're going to see this trash-talking David come out one more time. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave... I don't know if she sounded like that. I don't know why I did that. But it's disrobing in the sight of, of slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. Well, David said to Michael, it is before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from the house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I mean, he's saying scoreboard, right? I mean, you're dad didn't get this. Nobody else from your family did. The Lord appointed me, and that's why I'm celebrating. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more indignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I mentioned there was one more, one more bold move that was going to occur, and that was David bringing the ark into the temple, into Jerusalem. This was really an acknowledgement of the Lord's kingship. Again, this was a theocratic country, a God-centered king, and David wanted to make sure that everybody in Israel and the entire world knew that this was a God-centered country. Now, if you read through the rest of chapter 6, by the way, it, we continue on with all this weird 2020, you know, dateline type of stuff. There's actually a section there where uh, uh, the ark doesn't get moved properly and a dude dies, okay? So you can check that out for yourself. Uh, we don't have time to get into that, but just note that God wants our specific obedience and that all he calls us to do. So finally, they got the move, the ark moved in the correct way and the reestablishment of the ark in the temple, temple and it was a big deal worthy of celebration. And we see David's celebratory acts as just, he was so excited that the Lord had called him and used him 
for such a significant service. You see, godly leaders celebrate. But as he celebrated, just like so often in David's life, he was, he was mocked. And what happened to Michael, though, for mocking David? I mean, a severe punishment. She couldn't have kids. See, when we celebrate, when we obey God, God's got our, God's got our back. Now, moving to our lives as we see our story and his story. Again, at times through my years of ministry, I, I see that sometimes it's difficult for us to celebrate. You know, we may have a lot of different excuses why we don't celebrate what God is doing. We, we may not want to look like a, a Jesus freak. You know, we don't want people to think that we're, we're, that we're weird. Uh, maybe we, we don't even, you know, we don't, we're, we're not loud people. We don't sing loud. I'm not like a, a loud cheering type of a person, so I'm not going to really celebrate what God has done. Well, I think some of those same people that may think or say some of those same things, they probably act kind of like this with a big Preds victory. Take a look. And some of those people were in church that morning, okay? And they weren't celebrating. Like, now, I've been down here. I've become a Preds fan. The Preds are fun to watch. I love celebrating Preds victory. I'm an even bigger Chicago Cubs fan, all right? I mean, I go hard after the Chicago Cubs and celebrating. But we got to ask the question, what's more important? What's more worthy of praise, the Preds, the Cubs, or, or Jesus? Why not go hard after celebrating Jesus too, like David did? I had the privilege last week of going to Moldova with Rolling Hills and Justice and Mercy International and uh, was able to see incredible ways that, that, that God worked. You know, you guys put on your bucket list, you all got to go to Moldova. God is doing big things. But I could talk about it. That's a sermon for another day, a message for another moment. But a, a couple of things that are appropriate for today, uh, today's discussion. The first is this. One of the things that I notice when people go overseas is that their inhibitions come down. And all of a sudden they're teaching when they wouldn't teach here. They're praying out loud when they wouldn't pray here. They're singing louder than they would here. They're talking about Jesus with all these people around them when they don't do that here in Franklin, Tennessee. That's a great reason to go and build your boldness muscle is to go to Moldova. Go somewhere outside of your norm and let those inhibitions come down. The second thing is, I go, I've been in various places throughout the world and when I go to some place where people have less, it seems that they celebrate more. I don't understand that, but they celebrate more. And so it's worth it just to go overseas to see a better way of celebrating. I was thinking of this when I went to uh, Sierra Leone, West Africa, and I had the opportunity on a Sunday morning to give, to give the message, a real, real honor. And, uh, you know, I got done, and all of a sudden people started dancing, and they're coming down the aisles, and I thought it was a good message, but not that good, you know? And these people are, are dancing down the aisle. So I turn the translator next to me. I go, what is going on? And he said, it's time for the blessing. I said, what? Like, are they coming down and the pastor's going to pray for them? Or, No, 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 no. 
It's time for the offering. They realize it's better to give than to receive, and they're going to be blessed by being obedient and giving to others. And so they're literally coming down, and they're dancing, and they're much better than that, by the way. And then they put their money in, and then they dance back. to This took like a half an hour to go through this dance process. It's time for the blessing. Friends, godly leaders celebrate. They celebrate all that God. The greatest gift that we have ever had is Jesus and his mercy and his love and his joy and his hope. And without it, we are nothing. We need to celebrate, friends. We need to break out of our inhibitions and let Jesus work in and through us. Godly leaders understand God's call for their lives. Godly leaders put God first. And godly leaders celebrate. Question for you. Is there one, two, three things that have been impressed upon you this morning? Are there a few things that maybe you've been educated about or reminded about that you you need to start to put into practice so you can be more of an influencer, more of a leader in what God has called you to do, where God has called you to be. If so, write those down. Tell a spouse, tell a friend, tell your community group. Start putting those into practice this afternoon, tomorrow morning, so we all can have the influence and be the godly leaders like David that God wants us to be. Now come to the point of our service, our worship service, where it's time for the blessing. Time for the blessing! You ready to dance? (laughs) All right, I'm not going to ask you to dance, but go ahead, the ushers, come on down, if you would. And we're going to give. I do hope, even though we're in Franklin, Tennessee, and you probably won't dance, I do hope and pray that you, as 1 Corinthians says, that you give with a grateful heart. Give as a cheerful giver. God owns it all, and we're the caretakers. So as we give, let's give with a generous spirit. And if you want to dance as you're doing it, feel free. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Feel free. All right, let me pray for us. God, thank you for the blessing upon blessing. Every good and perfect gift comes from your hand, and we praise you for that. Help us to give with cheerful hearts, understanding it is better to give than to receive. And as we give, we're acknowledging your goodness, your grace, your generosity in our lives. And we ask all this in the precious name of Christ. Amen and amen.